patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. Thank you so much for joining us this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure you subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens so that you don't miss our episodes that come out every Monday. Today, I'd like to explore a topic that I haven't frequently explored, even though we have been in the COVID-19 pandemic a lot. And I'm talking about public health. Public health is an area that we have touched upon a bit. I've asked about COVID-19 for some of the questions opposed to guests. But today I'd like to focus on a case that has so much precedent and has so much weight and value in what we're debating nowadays. When, with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of things have changed uh, from the way that people work to unfortunately, how people are acting in, in our society. Some people really have lost their minds. And, and it's really unfortunate to see some of the conflicts that people have started and inflamed throughout this time. Today, i like to cover a case that I really think should be taught a lot more in schools. It's definitely a case that is that was controversial then, and maybe uh, probably less controversial nowadays, but nevertheless, it really divided a number of people at the time. In 1902, there was a smallpox outbreak in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Massachusetts at the time was one of those few states that required vaccinations for those who were over the age of 21. And they could basically just say, you know what, we have a public health emergency, you need to get vaccinated. And if you didn't get vaccinated, you would be subject to a $5 fine. $5 now translating to about $150 in 2020. Now, well, there's one guy, a Cambridge pastor named Henning Jacobson. He originally was from Sweden, and he, he didn't like this new policy from Cambridge, Massachusetts regarding the vaccines. He just simply didn't believe it worked. Uh, but also, he he didn't want to get vaccinated because he believed that his health would be in jeopardy. Um, he, I think, believed, I don't know if he, I'm not, I'm not sure how passionate he was in this particular argument, but he was saying that his family might have some kind of hereditary health problem regarding vaccines, and therefore he just could not take this one here. Well, Massachusetts didn't really care about that, and pursuant to the law, he was fined that $5, and Jacobson sued uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and it took three years until finally reached the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, the basic question really was, do... these vaccinations infringe on personal freedoms. Jacobson's argument was that 
the law was, quote, unreasonable, arbitrary, and oppressive, unquote. And he basically, he's also saying that uh, people should not be penalized for uh, choosing to uh, object to a vaccination regardless of the reasons. And the court heard our oral arguments uh, on December 6, 1904. And as they were debating, the court realized that this is not something, uh, this argument from Jacobson was not, was just not valid. And so on February 20th, 1905, the Supreme Court voted, ruled seven to two that Massachusetts law did not violate the 14th Amendment, which is the amendment also known by the Equal Protection Clause. The court was led by Justice Harlan. Justice Harlan, by the way, is one of my favorite Supreme Court justices. I'll be sure to make an episode recording of about him sometime in the future. But Justice Harlan, I think, writes a decision that has a lot of meaning to it and something very applicable to nowadays. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read parts of his opinion and identify with some of these sentences and how they relate to the issues that, that were on hand then and the issues that are happening now. Now, the first thing you have to realize is that the court was saying within a society, you can't just have everybody exercise liberty entirely. And it's obviously uh, it's obvious why that's the case. For example, if there's someone who wanted to rob someone, you, you can't let that person do whatever he or she wants. So already there is a line between you know, what is considered freedom and the, not constraints, but just the overall rules within society that you have to abide by if you're going to live there. And what the court was saying is that in a, in a public health and public safety crisis, there is police power within a state that can allow it to have regulations and legislation to ensure that the general welfare is preserved. Now, this is also this is a bit cloudy here because there are some other things that are in play. But I like to read, starting on page thirty-five of this opinion. Unquote. Unquote. A common belief, like common knowledge, does not require evidence to establish its existence but may be acted upon without proof by the legislature and the courts, unquote. Now, this is a really interesting statement here. The, the whole premise with, what, with this quote here, the court is saying that a, a belief, an idea of some kind, does, doesn't need evidence to show that it exists. There are going to be people who will who will believe one way or another and there's no state there's no evidence or anything that requires that it it can exist in one form or another the court goes on and says the fact that the belief is not universal is not controlling for there is scarcely any belief that is accepted by everyone 
And I'll stop there for a second. Now, earlier, I said that it may be uh, that a common belief may be acted upon without proof by the legislature and the courts. So this kind of hints onto something uh, that I'll that the quote will eventually reveal. But the the fact that it says it, a belief is not universal is not controlling. I mean, imagine how much different people would act if they understood that not everyone is going to believe the same way as they believe. I mean, isn't that genius? <laughs> it, it's really astounding how something like this is super relevant, and yet it's not widely, is widely accepted, as you can probably imagine. So as far as there's scarcely any belief that is accepted by everyone. I mean, just the fact that the court acknowledges is, is already a, a big deal. It continues, it says, the possibility that the belief may be wrong and that science may yet show it to be wrong is not conclusive. For the legislature has the right to pass laws which, according to the common belief of the people, are adapted to prevent the spread of contagious diseases. Unquote. This is so fascinating because it says the positive the belief may be wrong. So in, in essence, let's say, let's say that the state of Massachusetts, in this example, said you need to have a vaccine. It does not matter how many times people say, well, that could be wrong. And well, we have, we don't have enough science. We don't have enough data. We don't have this and that. So Massachusetts is wrong because it could be proven wrong. Not the case at all, especially what, what, what the court just said. Science is a, an evolving subject, clearly. I mean, we're not saying that science doesn't change or that whatever the government says is science. Scientific debate, I think, it should be separate from what we're dealing with here in this case and in a lot of the debates that we're having regarding policy during COVID-19. But what it is saying is that you you cannot just say, well, I don't like what you're, what this government is doing, and therefore I'm I'm just exempt because I have a belief, and everyone else should respect it. Well, yes, in the in essence, you can have free speech if you want to express d disapproval of something. You have the right to into free speech, but when it comes to a vaccination. This is when the court is saying the state has this police power and to make sure that everyone is safe and that there are no injuries from other people's liberties. Now, again, it's very, very complex, especially when you're dealing with COVID-19. Clearly, this case is not from a pandemic. It's actually it's actually dealing with Quite a quite a local case, and we're dealing with Cambridge, Massachusetts, and really the state of Massachusetts, which in itself is not a huge place at all. But it's really it's really astounding how the court is recognizing that ultimately it's the legislature that has the right to pass laws and to do all the things that it is saying. Why is that so obvious? Well, it's because. So many people nowadays are assuming that the scientists have the control over what is passed as policy and law. 
And the reality is that is not the United States. That is not how we run our country. Regardless of what people think about a particular scientist or a group of scientists, ultimately the power is within the legislature. That is so important to recognize. That even kind of opens up debate about the powers of the ex- of the executive. Now that's not to say okay, and just um, you can do whatever you want about what the the governor tells you to. That's not the point. The point is there is a lot of authority out there that is not being recognized by people, and that power is only within the people whom we elect on a regular basis, and those are our lawmakers. So whatever people say about scientists and what they agree with and disagree with, ultimately, scientists have the power to advise, right? They have the power to advise. They can do what citizens have the right to do. So they have the right to petition. They have the right to talk to their legislators and tell them why they're right or why they're wrong. They can still be a part of the citizenry and of the civics, what isn't okay is over-glorifying scientists and assuming that, well, politics has to be guided by the science or all the laws have to be guided by the science. As this, as this court says, that does not have to happen. Because we are living in a republic, it's ultimately the, the faith and the power system in which we live in that the legislature has that power to implement these measures. And the Massachusetts government, I'm sure they said, well, we've consulted with the scientists based on our knowledge. Here are the policies. And if people don't like what these legislators do, the people can vote them out or they can reelect them. This is how our system of government works. It really goes and flies right in the face of, of a lot of what is Unfortunately, I'm becoming conventional wisdom, which kind of assumes that science is a, a different universe to politics and that we've never seen you know, science be so politicized and everything. I mean, again, scientific debate is another, another area where scientists and others in that community uh, can have honest conversations about data and results. But ultimately, people who say that, well, you need to follow the science – well, that's kind of like saying, well, you need to follow the economics or you need to follow the politics. Well, and people debate on economics. So so why, how can how can people assume that science is completely settled? As the court continues here, it says, and this is something really, really important to, to note out. Quote, in a free country where the government is by the people, through their chosen representatives, practical legislation admits of no other standard of action for what the people believe is for the common welfare must be accepted as tending to promote the common welfare, whether it does in fact or not. Any other basis would conflict with the spirit of the Constitution and would sanction measures opposed to a Republican form of government, unquote. The big thing here with these two statements is that, and kind of like as I said earlier, the legislature, and more particularly, it's the represented democracy in a federal republic that is the number one system to make changes. It really goes back to the roots of 
what our nation is founded. Just because a pandemic happens doesn't mean that a federal public goes away. We still have a system of government. I'll use a simple example. Look at the people who, for example, recently there's been a reinstatement of, of a mask mandate for employees in public areas in Clark County, which is the Las Vegas area. Every single one of those commissioners on the Clark County in Clark County are some of them are probably going to run for re-election. Guess what? People have the ultimate right to have conversations and have debates by all means. This is actually what we should be doing more. We should have people debating and having these conversations so that legislatures, lawmakers can listen in and make their decisions. But what isn't okay is to assume that Clark County and the commissioners of Clark County, you know, are completely listening to science and they and they don't uh, acknowledge what what is happening. It's 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 still politics. They they have reelections to look forward to. Uh, some of them maybe be retiring. I don't know, but the point is. Governments don't make decisions because they do it for an institution of science. I'm also not saying that they're doing it for selfish purposes entirely. It's a combination of a number of different factors that come into play within our system of representative democracy. And that's what I really want people to take away, which is our representative democracy is still functioning in a pandemic. It is not all of a sudden a science experiment. Or some kind of way so that we can we can serve the institution of science, as great as that is in principle, and something that I think should be abided uh, in classrooms or even just among the civil discourse of people. It is not really how these powers work. As I kind of reflect on this decision and the impact, we've realized that. A lot of people are not having conversations anymore about public health. There's a lot of villainization happening. I'm very concerned that there's people on both sides who don't understand. And both sides, when I say both sides, I mean people on differing differing sides of various different issues. I do believe that the vaccine is incredibly important. This is the efficacy is phenomenal. It, it did not happen overnight. It wasn't like the FDA just dreamt up a vaccine and, and invented it. This is years of research and development that goes back a long, long time. And I, I do believe there are people we should be thanking for allow, not only allowing this process to happen, but to happen so quickly. It is just un, absolutely unprecedented with all these vaccines. I also believe that this case here, Jacobson v. Massachusetts, it does give that police power to governments. And it's also it was also a catalyst for the anti-vaccine movement, which happened not too long after the decision. But I I also I believe the larger picture here is essentially saying that we cannot be punishing the majority of people because of the actions of a minority. I found a passage here later in this case that says from the court, we are unwilling to hold it to be an element in the liberty secured by the Constitution of the United States that one person or a minority of persons residing in any community and enjoying the benefits of its local government should have the power thus to dominate the majority when supported in their action by the authority of the state. 
While this court should guard with firmness every right appertaining to life, liberty, or property as secured to the individual by the supreme law of the land, it is of the last importance that it should not invade the domain of local authority except when it is plainly necessary to do so in order to enforce that law. Unquote. I think about the federalism that has worked throughout this nation, from the vaccination rollouts to the different policies uh, regarding mass mandates and lockdowns. People should have a choice as to which constituency they want to live in, and their voices will ultimately be decided in elections. We need to cherish the representative democracy in our federal republic. Even the court in this case said that they can't just intervene anywhere. They will only intervene when there is a kind of injustice or oppression on particular groups of people. Understanding the value of our representative democracy is what's going to ensure that we don't veer towards authoritarianism, that we keep to our roots, that we keep towards the ideas of freedom and opportunity and justice. And I believe it starts with every single one of us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember that a day in America always gets better when we're with our friends and fellow citizens.